myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is Melissa Mae Curtis of the Netflix show Pet Stars, a reality series on Netflix. You can get that on Netflix right now. I watched season one just earlier this afternoon. Melissa worked with Colleen, the owner of Pets on Cue in finance. And when she quit her job, she then decided to work for Pets on Cue full time. So Pet Stars is basically a reality show based on the adventures of Pets on Cue trying to sign and scout for new animals to represent in TV shows and commercials. It's a really fascinating, I guess, industry to kind of check out and just look around and just see all the crazy animals. In this episode, we talk about representing animals, Melissa's life, reality TV, and then we get into her fear of the dark. So let's get into that interview right now with Melissa May Curtis. My guest is Netflix star and of Pet Stars and I guess the second in command at Pets on Cue talent agency, Melissa May Curtis. Melissa, Hello. how are you doing today? I am well. Thank you, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing great. I We were just talking about how your husband is out in Hawaii just working and suffering <laughs> immensely at this resort filming a reality TV. Yes, it's true. He's he's just hating it at a beautiful resort in Hilo on the Big Island. And <laughs> I have a hard time feeling sad for him. <laughs> Jealous may be the more appropriate word. Than- yeah. <laughs> um, I plan on visiting him at some point during his tenure there. But yeah, you never, you never know where you're going to go when you work in reality TV. So <laughs> what do you, what is it like being married to the person that kind of witnesses reality TV firsthand? Well, it's interesting because he has to sign NDAs whenever he works on a new show. So there's a lot of things he cannot tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he definitely has skewed his view on party culture and just being a father of daughters. I can tell you that because we have two kids. We have two daughters aged nine and 20. And back in the day when he was filming um, Jersey Shore, he filmed all the Jersey Shores. Uh, he would just call me and be like, oh, my gosh, you know, as the show got bigger and bigger, because I don't understand these girls. There's all these young girls lining up just to meet these guys and party with them. There's lions around the block. And I just want to ask them, where is your father? What is going on? You know, and so it really did a mind scramble on him as a young father of daughters. Um <laughs> You know, and he just goes, I don't understand why people like these shows. They're crazy, you know, and then just as as the genre has stayed and has grown and as he has worked on even more and more shows, he's like, well, I guess I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. I'll just keep my mouth shut and film these guys because clearly, you know, so it's kind of a funny thing. Um, It's definitely an interesting perspective. And, you know, it's afforded my husband the opportunity to travel the world and uh, you know, you can't you can't complain about that, but there's never a dull moment. I'll tell you that. 
the adorable just comes home and <laughs> I just I just picture the scene from Billy Madison where he's like, I can't wait to go to high school. Don't you say that. Don't you ever say that. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It's not what you think it's gonna be, but <laughs> everybody has to find that out on their own, I guess. <laughs> but that would be like if you're a father of of daughters and you just see all these women just clamoring, like it's yes. gotta be kind of a sensory overload as a protective parent to just see all of this what Absolutely. you would think is just parental like neglect almost well and and they were so young you know and and the other thing my husband specializes in a special kind of camera called a, a robo camera a pelco cam so he doesn't shoulder up with the big camera and like follow the kids to the nightclub he sits in a control room where they go wire the house with all these little spy cams all over the place. And then he sits there with, you know, 30 monitors linked to 30 cameras at different places and has these little joystick controls that he uses to, to roll tape and zoom when, you know, people walk into that room or into that camera. And so he sits there with the director and the producers, but he also works the night shift typically because that's when the most goes down on these shows. And that's also when they're all, partying and bringing people back to their rooms and you know so he would be filming you know the worst of the worst you know and then just being like oh my gosh I cannot believe the things I see there's all these things that I see that we can't even air you know and oh my god these poor women these women have no self-esteem and I'm like you're thinking about it wrong you know these women are there because they want to be there these are empowered women of the modern day that are making their choices and this is their thing and he's like no honey you have no idea these women need dads like (laughs) like, I don't know what happened I don't know what their issues are but no this is not okay you know so also my husband comes from a very you know conservative Mormon upbringing so he has a little bit of a skewed view of what you know, of what should happen, but it's pretty funny. You know, he's, he's the funny guy to be doing all that with his background, you know, just every father's nightmare, every father's nightmare, seriously. And he's just like, whatever we got to do to make sure our daughters know, like never hang out with celebrities. Don't try to do that. You know, (laughs) it's just pretty funny. (laughs) But I think some of that is just kind of glamorized too, a little, just a little bit. Like I, I just, for sure. Which you also are, you are a reality TV star in your own right. <laughs> now, it's an interesting story because you're, I guess you started with a coworker now. Which, uh, did the CEO start at the bank before you or were you the first one there? Um, I had been there for a number of years. I think when I met Colleen, I had already worked for the private bank for about five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had worked in Beverly Hills and she had been in the New York office. Um, so I had never met her and I think she started a little bit after I did Mm -hmm. Colleen's a bit younger than me. Um, and then she decided to transfer from New York city to Los Angeles. And so I met her, you know, when she moved out there and we sat next to each other and she was already doing pets on cue kind of on the side with her Mm -hmm. dog and and with people and had kind of started it as a little side hustle, but I was intrigued by it because I was tired of working in finance, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and I, I had a disabled dog and she had a disabled dog. So we kind of bonded over that. And then she was like, yeah, I'm going to basically retire from finance and go do this full time. And I said, well, I want to come work for you. So when I was 40, I just completely retired, quit my job and went all in to go work for my, my friend's startup. And my poor husband and family, they were like, wow, you're just, you're just retiring, huh? Just kissing all that goodbye. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, yep, that's what's happening. So I, I kind of jumped all in with the idea that, you know, finance will always be there if I have to mm-hmm. go back to it, which is absolutely true. Um, and I'm actually glad I, I took that leap because, you know, I went and worked for Colleen and we were able to get a season of a show about our business. And, you know, now we're just kind of jamming with that and seeing what comes next. But you also have those coworkers like you just instantly like, oh, you know, you, you have like one little conversation and then it's just like every day you're that they're, you're the person you're looking for when you're at work. Like, OK, where are they? Exactly. Like there's sometimes you just click with people and, you know, Colleen and I, that's exactly how it was. We just completely clicked. We're very different. We're from very different places. You know, like I said, I'm a bit older. I'm about 12 years older than her, if you can believe it. Um, And, you know, I'm married and have my kids well on their way. And at the time when we first met, she was single, you know, and just at completely different phases of our life but just completely hit it off with our love of animals and just being goofy girls, like trying to have fun and, you know, trying to figure out what we wanted to do next. And so it worked out really great. Um, And it's just so weird because we have such a good time together. And even now we hang out, you know, whenever we can, COVID made it kind of difficult. Our COVID year was tough, but um, Mm -hmm. now we're back to seeing each other more often and, and it's really great. And she's married now and getting ready to have her first baby now. And, you know, so there's a lot of fun things happening, which is really cool. So you're almost like a friend and mentor because you can kind of step by step. Okay, this is kind of what you expect. For sure. And and I'm so excited, you know, because I'm at this point where, like I said, I, my, my kids are well on their way to my one daughter is an adult. She's 20 years old. Um, I'm not having any more kids, you know, and so I have a lot of friends, though, that are in their 30s and 40s even that are having their first kids. And so it's fun for me. I'm like the old, you know, the old grandma that knows what's up. And I get to watch these young kids go through all the stuff I went through 20 plus years ago and just, you know, go can babysit their babies and give them right back. So... <laughs> You had you and you, you can tell them about screenless Sundays. That seems that's that's such a cool idea. Like I know I've seen a couple of families that have kind of a no screen time kind of you know family yeah. dinner. Like one of my, I think. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say one of my guests. He's a military family. He's trying. He was grew up in like the grandparents' house where everybody kind of gathered, and then when that grandmother passed, it kind of that tradition kind of faded and so he's kind of bringing mm. it back with his wife and kids and it's it's real interesting to see like some you know different families kind of approach how can we kind of i guess stay communication open without having to you know relent to just constant screening and absolutely i mean i like it for me because i find myself on my phone a lot and you know we try to watch movies together and my kids will be like hey let's watch this movie and then if i'm not <laughs> super engaged in whatever cartoon we're watching. I'm going to pull out my phone and start scrolling. And my daughter gets, my youngest daughter gets so mad. She's like, mom, watch the movie, you know, get off your phone kind of thing. So it kind of came about because I was like, gosh, I need a day where I'm really just off my phone. And Sunday was the perfect day. And then we kind of made it like no TV, no screens, no computers, no nothing. And just screen free. We play music, we can read, we can draw, we can play with toys, go to the pool, whatever, just without technology. And it's so great. It's become all of our favorite days because we do a lot together. You know, my kids are baking cookies together and we're, you know, hanging out, painting and doing stuff. I love it. I highly recommend it to everybody. It's just good to get unplugged, you know? Yeah. And something you can plan, you can, you can kind of, you can build anticipation by planning to go somewhere, do something. Yes. Yeah. It's really great. It's, it's awesome. And I, and I really do believe it's good for us to kind of 
you know, take a deep breath, calm our brains down, get off of the screens. Who knows what these things are doing to us long-term, I, I, you know, all those, all the blue lights and everything. Yeah. It just, it can't be good. <laughs> it may not be. And it's interesting too, that you were in finance. So if anybody is going to know the cost of a dream co- going back to your pet stars and pets on cue, it's like, <laughs> You guys know the pitfalls because so many people have dreams and then don't realize the financial or fiscal responsibility to sustain something right? like a like a pets on cue or to, in, in this case, take it to levels that, you know, I'm sure Colleen, when she started it, maybe imagined, but thought maybe that's a little unrealistic. Yeah. I mean, it, what's interesting is Colleen is a, is a brilliant woman with a lot of support behind her. Her family is very supportive. And so she's a really big dreamer. My, my issue with Colleen has always been, there's so many things she wants to do. I, I have to ground her in reality a lot of the time and tell her no. Um, but it's great because I think that, you know, now the business is going to a place where, like you said, like we had no idea we could get here and, and we're kind of like, wow, we got a Netflix show about us in the business. Like we can do anything, man. Like <laughs> the world is our oyster. Now, what are we going to do kind of thing? So we'll have to see what comes next. It's, it's kind of crazy. And so, and it again, because of your connections to the film and then I guess her connections to animals, like it, it's a really good, I guess, partnership that you have going on of being able to maximize, you know, your clients and, you know, I guess, build build and develop because you were you were on both sides of the uh, industry right yeah it's it's interesting you know even animal influencers they all dream of stardom on on set you know <laughs> just like show parents the parents of these animals once they get to a certain level you know with their instagram or tiktok or whatever they they always set their sights on hollywood and and what's interesting is you know animal influencers just like all influencers are you know i think here to stay at some level even though people tire of influencer antics but a human being you know can easily transition typically from say being an influencer to trying other things out because most people who are creative have a lot of different creative talents <laughs> animals aren't typically the same if you have a, a really famous cat um, say a Kobe, the cat, millions of followers, that cat's great when you're taking pictures of it at home in the house, but taking that untrained animal to set is never going to fly. So it's interesting. Uh, the, the influencers always want to make that transition, but unless their animals are highly, highly trained, which you can teach an old dog new tricks. So, mm-hmm. you know, we do have a lot of dogs that can make that crossover, but the cats are very, very difficult because you know, once you have a cat that's two or three or four years old, kind of set in its ways, and you're taking all these pictures at home, you can't take that cat on set and expect them to do anything. It's yeah. it's not going to listen to you. Cats do their own thing, man. You know, so so it's very interesting because they all want it, but it's it's kind of like, well, I don't know if your cat's really made out for <laughs> anything for more set than work. print. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that, that's got a how many obedience schools? Like, I guess then, I guess come in contact with you to try to 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 enlist you, you know, your assistance and training services. Cause I would think that that would be a huge, I guess, booster, you know, clientele to have like that in your roster, just the. It's more animal trainers, not so much obedience schools, but the actual, you know, well-known trainers that train animals for set work, the ones that do it humanely. And, and, you know, because the training industry has changed a lot as, 
as everything has changed as, as time has progressed and new guidelines have been put in place about animal safety and the treatment of animals on set. Mm-hmm. And so, so guidelines are very different now than they were even 10 or 20 years ago. Um, and so we really like to work with the kind of up and coming trainers, the ones that only use positive reinforcement that are really, you know, and that really try to pull animals from rescues and stuff. We get a lot of commercials that want to use rescued animals. And it's funny, you can get a a young dog that you pull from a shelter and train for a couple of weeks and put them on a set and they're amazing. And then it's a lot easier to find them a forever home because people love that idea of their animal having been on a commercial for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they're more likely to adopt it if they know it had this, this shining moment, even if they never do commercials again, it's kind of a crazy thing. So yeah. we try to do that as much as possible. Exposure always, I, I believe helps those kinds of things like anybody. For that, sure. And I'm an animal lover myself and i just wonder like the puppy bowl is that something you guys just is that an all hands on deck are you guys all at the puppy bowl (laughs) you know we've never done the puppy bowl actually that's not something we've ever ever worked on so we do a lot of one-offs and we do a lot of like series shows and things Mm -hmm. like that but no we've never done the puppy bowl but we i'll tell you my dog watches the puppy bowl (laughs) i just (laughs) i was like that i would wonder if that was somewhere because I know a lot of shelters use those like they they mm-hmm. definitely it, like you said the exposure to get these animals adopted and to maybe not adopt that animal but to get I guess visibility to the other dogs at the shelter right well and a lot of these <clears throat> excuse me animal rescue shelters nonprofits they need support and they need funding you know so anytime they can get attached to a project and just even get a mention mm-hmm. you know is is really critical for them so we try to to do that whenever we can as well I mean there's Every, every major city, you know, has an animal overpopulation product pro, pro, problem, if I can talk. Um, and here in Los Angeles, you know, we're no exception. There's just so many animals on the streets here and our shelters are overflowing. COVID, you know, surprisingly had an effect where a lot of animals were getting adopted. And we saw this huge kind of emptying of shelters almost nationwide where people were just rush, rushing out and getting animals. The concern now is as things are opening back up, are those people going to keep those animals or are they going to resurrender them? So we're kind of waiting to see how the tide goes. We're hopeful that, you know, most people who adopted animals during the pandemic knew what kind of a commitment they were making and, and definitely were planning for it. But it's it's going to be an interesting six months, that's sure, in the world of animal rescue. So how many, like, are you are you still in Los Angeles then? Or? Yes, okay. yes. I'm in um, Burbank. Mm-hmm. All right. And so and it's Colleen in Los Angeles. She, yes. She, yeah. She's in West Hollywood. Okay. Mm-hmm. So y'all have definitely migrated and kind of set roots, which, yes. you, which you should. And, and if you're going to do film and commercial and stuff, you're in the right spot for <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a, com- I do comedy in, in my spare time. And so, you know, if you want to be on TV, New York or LA is where you have to be. I would mm-hmm. say even pandemic or not, like, there's been a comedy migration to, I guess, Austin, Texas, where it's kind of become the Wild West down here. Of like, it's, right. a, it's like a comedic gold rush that people are trying to, to. I have a lot of friends that live in Austin. Even my own sister moved to Austin. Like Austin's happening right now, I guess. Yeah, but comedy wise, it's just like it's kind of like everybody's because Austin was shut down on everything, kind of for their comedy scene, just went away. Like their comedy club, like ended up. I guess, closing during the pandemic and mm. stuff like that. So Austin kind of more than any other city kind of lost all of their, I guess, comedic places. And so now 
it, Joe Rogan moved there. Like all these big, mm. these big, I guess, comedic celebrities are setting roots in Austin. So everybody's trying to move to Austin to kind of showcase in front of them. It's <laughs> so it's kind of been a it's interesting to watch for some for someone that lives just a couple hours away to see right. all this stuff start to transition to Austin and everybody trying to set roots in Austin thinking that's going to be the place to to build a career and right I don't know I think the pandemic forced a lot of us to look at our our life choices and where we were at and go am I really happy here you know we saw people leaving Los Angeles in droves because it is really expensive to live here and I think people have discovered too you know yes if you want to be you know big time you want to be on like a big time show you kind of need to be in Los Angeles, New York, but a lot of people have discovered I can make my own show. I can do my own thing. I can make a web series. I can shoot, you know, a series myself kind of thing anywhere, you know, and I, we've seen a ton of people leaving, especially actors and writers who just have kind of been like, you know, I've been here for 10 years and now I'm ready for something else. Cause you know, the pandemic just kind of forced us all to slow down and go, am I really happy? <laughs> you know, And for some people, the answer was absolutely not. And for others, it was like, nope, I'm exactly where I need to be, you know? And that's kind of where I was. I was like, gosh, you know, it's nice that there's not so much traffic. And I wish all these people were still here, but I'm pretty happy living in L.A. I guess I'll stay here for a while. (laughs) Yeah. And it's possible, you know, also with the pandemic and I guess California having, I would say, tougher restrictions than what we have here. Mm-hmm. That it maybe there's a, a frustration of not being able to either perform or work or that could also lead to a little bit of a migration out. Sure. Yeah, it was. I mean, they really cracked down here and it was really difficult for anyone to make a living. And then even now, you know, surprisingly, you don't think of Los Angeles as a theater town because it's mostly movies. But there's actually a ton of theater that is produced here. It might not be high caliber theater, but there's a lot of theater that's done here. And one of my favorite shows every year is the Fringe Fest, which is a a festival of theater shows that they do at all these different theaters in Hollywood. And they're doing it virtual this year. They didn't do it last year at all. And they're doing it virtual this year. And I got to tell you, as a lover of live theater, the thought of watching a virtual theater show just does not appeal to me at all, you know? Yeah. So I'm kind of of the, like, I'd rather just not go this year and wait till it's back in person, you know, which is just difficult. And so what has, I guess, working with Pets on Cue kind of shown you that you, as an animal lover, you may not have been aware of, like, what is it kind of, I guess, maybe brought more awareness to? Well, you know, before I worked at Pets on Cue, I didn't really fully understand, you know, the benefits of fostering. I had never fostered animals before. I only ever adopted animals. All my animals had come from shelters, um, but I had never fostered anything. And I didn't realize that for the most part, if you choose to foster a dog or a cat or a turtle or whatever from a, you know, nonprofit or an animal rescue, they're going to give you everything you need and you don't have to pay for anything. They're going to you know, send you this dog or you'll pick up this dog and they're going to give you the food and the blankets and the harness. They're going to cover all the medical bills. They're going to cover everything. You literally just have to provide a place for that dog or cat or what have you to have a safe space Mm -hmm. for X amount of time um, and until it finds its forever home. And so I think that's really great. So we, of course, started fostering um, once I learned more about it. Um, In terms of business, you know, I have been 
constantly surprised at how much money people can make with their pets. And I don't mean just set work. I mean, just in general, there's a lot of merchandising opportunities. There's a lot of licensing opportunities. There's just a lot of monetization opportunities out there for people that are good at self-promotion on social media. Um, And once you get to a certain level, whether you have an animal account or a human account, there's a lot of doors that are opened up to you. I used to think it was crazy. And I would tell my kids, you know, being famous on social media isn't being famous. Stop looking at these stupid influencers kind of thing. But the reality is being famous on social media is its own thing. And there's a lot of people that can make a lot of money doing it. And that was just shocking to me as somebody who worked in finance and, you know, was doing, I'd never done a loan for anybody that was an influencer, you know, at that time. And then just delving into that and saying, oh my gosh, these people are making a lot of money. You made how much on your cat? Holy shit. Like this is, the thing, mm-hmm. you know, and then trying to align myself and Colleen and, and just the business of Pets and with people who are interested in monetizing their accounts, but also are more interested in taking good care of their animals mm-hmm. and promoting a good message and putting out good values and finding that kind of mixture was what we were looking for to be kind of our, you know, the, the, the treasure trove of what we were looking for. People that were good at monetization yeah. and self-promotion, but also gave a shit about their animals and wanted the best for them because there's definitely people out there that get a little show parenty um, and will kind of put their animal in any situation. They don't really care because they just want that check, you know, mm-hmm. and it's trying to weed those people out. So it's very interesting. It's a very interesting world of personalities. I tell you, get a lot of best in show vibes where the parents, whatever, where they get hurt with that chew toy. Like they have to go back to the hotel with Parker Posey. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that. And then, you know, Colleen has fired people on set a hundred percent. She's, I mean, <laughs> you know, so she's, she's a little bit more, um, she can be a little bit more aggressive than me when it comes to stuff like that. And she's full on just like, Nope, your animal's not happy. Your animal's stressed. You're out of here kind of thing. you know. So, so I let her be the heavy, which is fine with me. <laughs> and that's as a leader, I guess that would be, that's a, I would say probably a more pro, almost better because you want the head of your thing to be the one that takes that stand. You don't, of course. you don't want to have, I guess, dissension in the ranks. You want from the top down to this is our vision. This is our goal. Right. And there's plenty of people out there that emulate our vision and values so Mm -hmm. we can hire someone else kind of thing. And that's, that's kind of the, the mindset that we have taken. And, you know, as we've built our talent roster and our brand roster, you know, that's, that's kind of really where we're at is always kind of putting the animals first, which is, you know, different, which you'd think that in working in an animal space, that would be all across the board and it's really not. So, so that's been an interesting challenge as well, but it's been great. I mean, I love working with animals. It's, I never thought I'd get to do anything like what I do ever. And that's great. Uh, I mean, that's such a, and it's such a, you know, I guess refreshing thing and to see here people, you know, take such a passionate stance and to, and to not, you know, just, you know, looks cute. Let's get it. You know, like they, (laughs) that you do a thorough background on the ownership and, and the ant and how they're treated. And you take all that into consideration mm-hmm. when you're, you know, wanting to add this client to your roster. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we get hundreds of people applying all the, like daily to be on the roster and we definitely don't um, accept all of them. And, you know, we have a vetting process and we love to meet our talent and, and just see their animals and make sure their animals are well taken care of, you know, for a long time, especially in set work, um, 
any animals that you would see in a movie. If you ever go back, gosh, go back and watch. Remember the movie Swiss Family Robinson? I'm probably yeah. dating myself here, but Disney did a live action Swiss Family Robinson back in, I think, like the 60s or 70s. And <clears throat> it's on Disney Plus. So, of course, we watched it with the kids because um, it was a movie I had liked when I was little. And I was shocked at just the way they were treating the animals in this movie, from the chickens to the geese to the donkeys to the tigers. It was just so horrific to watch. And I thought, if this was filmed way back then, I go, I guarantee so many animals perished during the making of this movie. It's so, so, so sad, you know? And so just seeing kind of the change of things. And even now, you know, when they have animals, there was a show, I can't remember what it was, it was an HBO show about horse racing. I want to say like nine or 10 years ago and like horses just kept dying on set. And they, they went through, I think five or six horses finally before they finally shut down production. And it was just like, my God, you know, and so the guidelines just used to just be non-existent. And so we're finally to a point where people give a shit. And when they watch a movie, they want to go, Oh my God, you know, I hope these animals were okay. Kind of thing. Um, and it's a lot different now, thank God. And, and there's still more work to be done, you know, yeah. but but yes, people finally care and they finally want to see the animals are treated well. And that's huge, you know, and so hopefully that just continues on and, and parlays out into other areas. Because yeah. I would think that now that you probably have like animal doctors, like even before you start filming, just kind of, you know. Right. Well, there's all kinds of things. I mean, usually American Humane and, and different organizations have a representative on set now to make sure just kind of to oversee things. Um, you have to be permitted to bring animals on set. There's all kinds of insurances in place. Your wranglers need to be permitted. There's all kinds of just paperwork and things. So if you're going to do a production that has any kind of animals on set, there's a lot more hoops you have to jump through. Um and so, you know, that's a deterrent. My husband would always say the worst days on set are the days with kids and animals because they're just unpredictable. And there's so many extra people on set for those things. And so it was just kind of funny. He's like, oh, and you're going to do a show about animals that's for kids. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I like interesting. But I kind of like, you know, you guys having separate projects that way, you know, it doesn't it stay, you know, your office work stays at work. You can talk about it. <laughs> Right, exactly. And have different stories. And, and plus, exactly. I, I couldn't imagine just the stress and, and, you know, anxiety that those animals are just uh, subjected to. Because I feel like animals are, are just a byproduct of what you kind of, like, if you, they don't know the different feelings of emotions. So their their views are very simple. It's like, it's, you know, anxiety, anger, mm -hmm. and all that stuff all folds into one one emotion, you know, and happy, calm is a different one. Exactly. Animals feed off of your energy and that, that absolutely translate to set, you know, that translates to set as well. And so we would have instances where just having the animal owner on set with them because the animal owner is excited and nervous and does, you know, and, and has all their, their pent up emotion because they're on set. We've, we've had to say, Hey, you need to leave because your vibe is making your animal nervous. Mm -hmm. You're stressing your animal out. I know you're excited to be here, but you're throwing everything off. So you got to go and we'll take care of everything from here. You know, that kind of thing that definitely has happened. Um, and, you know, and then just being on set, the lights are really light, you know, they're really bright and it's mm -hmm. hot, you got cameras in your face, people yelling things at you, a whole different vibe, you know, and the, the crew, I mean, they're professionals, they're there to get a job done, you know, and so yep. they're not necessarily thinking about 
how this, you know, dog is reacting to the camera being in their face, which is why you have professional wranglers, why you have professional handlers and those representatives on set, like from American Humane and things like that. But even in the best scenarios, sometimes the dogs get stressed out and can't perform. And if they can't perform, you got to you got to cut and wait till they're ready. Maybe and that might not be till the next day. You know, mm-hmm. that's why it's predictable or excuse me. That's why it's unpredictable um, and difficult to work with, you know, so, animals on set. <laughs> so how do you guys like, how do I guess, I guess I wonder how animal tra- handlers like actually kind of get them kind of reset if they are kind of. I mean, it depends on the situation, you know, a lot of trainers nowadays use, like I said, positive reinforcement and and food motivated animals. If you have a food motivated animal on set, that's the best Um, because, you know, they're, they're willing to do just about anything to get that kibble or to get that, you know, reward, whatever it is. Um, And sometimes you just have to leave the situation, get them off set. You know, what we try to do with our animals is, is get them into the set ahead of time without the crew. So if we know we're going to be shooting a commercial, you know, on this soundstage on this day, we try to go a couple hours early or a day early, you know, with our handler, with the animal, so they can just check it out, Mm -hmm. smell everything, go around, you know, see things. That's not always possible, but in a perfect scenario, we would always be trying to, you know, get Mm -hmm. those animals there and and see if they can do it. We haven't been doing production, you know, because COVID, so we're just now kind of getting back into castings and stuff. We've spent the last year and a half really just focused on, online promotions via Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, because again, everything was shut down. So we couldn't do it. We couldn't do an audition, a casting, we couldn't set foot on set, you know, now it's just finally starting to get opened again. That's great. And the food based animals, I was like, that just made me laugh. Cause I was thinking, well, the camera adds 10 pounds. Well, <laughs> Not on animals. The, can- <laughs> the, the handler adds 10 pounds on exactly, <laughs> exactly. all the treats. <laughs> it's too funny. <laughs> See, to me, the, the the more impressive trained animal is the cat, though. Like the, anybody that can train Absolutely. a cat to be a cat on TV. No, the, the, the cat, the trained cats are amazing. And cats are just as trainable. But you have, the thing with the cat is they're they're very aloof and very smart got to start early. So, you know, we have this, these cats we work with that are trained, the, the Savitsky cats. They were on America's Got Talent. They, I mean, they, and these cats are amazing. They're some of the most amazing cats you're ever going to see. And it's like, I can't believe the cat does this and this and this. And it's like, yep, you know, so, I mean, it can, it, it, it's, it's really quite incredible, actually, what people can do with their pets. It's just about consistency and starting when they're young, I think. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm no trainer. My dog doesn't even come when I call him. So, <laughs> Unless you have treats, then? Unless I have treats, and then he'll come for the treats only, but then he just snubs me. So <laughs> He is very aloof, it sounds like. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So my podcast is kind of about fears and you have a, I guess, an interesting one or one that most people have, but eventually they kind of (laughs) either outgrow or just kind of put aside and go ahead and tell the listeners what you're afraid of. Well, I have, (laughs) it's so funny. I have had sort of a, a crippling and stifling fear of the dark since I was about I want to say three or four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 44 <laughs> now to kind of give you an idea. Um, and and for me, fear of the dark was, you know, even in in my infancy and 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 when I had this this fear kind of blossom. I think there's a part of you that knows that you're being silly. At least for me, 
there was um, that little voice inside your head. But for whatever reason, my fear just sort of drowned out that voice my whole life. And it started for me, you know, my parents bought a house when I was, again, three or four years old, I can't remember the exact year, that had an unfinished basement. And this was a little craftsman house in South Salt Lake City, Utah. And it was, you know, about 1980. It's about the year. And when we moved into this house, the upstairs was finished. And there was, you know, living room, dining room, kitchen area, kitchen nook, bathroom, bedroom. And then towards the back of the kitchen, there was a stairway leading downstairs. And the stairway basically went down to a landing that went out to the backyard. And then if you made a hard right, it went down into the unfinished basement. And at the very back of the unfinished basement, so if you walk down the stairs and walk through the basement, the very back of it were two finished bedrooms. And so that's where my room was, down in in the dungeon, as I called it. Um, And my parents' bedroom was way upstairs. And there were no, I mean, when I say unfinished basement, it was like concrete, exposed beams, no lights, you know, like very much like out of a scary movie. Now it wasn't full of some old stuff. Like it wasn't, you know, like in scary movies, there's always like some old piano and mannequins. Like it wasn't that, it was empty, right? But it was dark and it was cold. And the washer and dryer was in there. And then, like I said, the two rooms were at the back and my room, I don't know why, when I think back, I go, why the hell, my room didn't have a door. So, so my room, you know, you turn the lights on and it had, you know, pink carpeting and, you know, my bunk bed and all my, all my, you know, stuffed animals and stuff, but there was no door on my room. Why? I don't know. And so me being, you know, a kid, my parents would come down there, tuck me in, put me to bed and then go upstairs. And I would just lay there in bed and just look out into the darkness of the, of the, of the dungeon basement. And I would see all kinds of things, you know, how your imagination, there was an old man that lived in the basement. There were like, there was all kinds of things I would see and it would scare the shit out of me. And I would tell my mom, I saw this or that. And they're like, Oh, that's just your imagination. Da, 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 da. And they weren't wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my imagination, but in my little brain, I just kind of made up all these things. And so what I would do is in the morning, you know, the sun would come up and then we had window wells, you know, cause it was a bit like in California, they don't have a lot of basements because of earthquakes, but basically there were window wells outside of the house that were basically kind of on par with the top ceiling of the basement. So sun would light would come in a little bit in the morning. And so I would wake up and I'd turn my light on and there were no lights in the basement. So again, I would leave my bedroom light on all day so that when I would come down to go back into my room, the light was on. Otherwise, I would have to walk across the abyss of darkness to get to my room. And that was like the worst possible thing I could ever have to do. Um, and I had this sort of idea that if I kept my eyes closed, none of the monsters in the basement could get me. Mm-hmm. So when I would leave my room or go to my room, I would walk really slowly with my eyes closed and my arms outstretched because there were beams, you know, and I would just walk really slow. And then I'd hurry and get to my room and turn the light on. Or if I was leaving, I would walk really slow till I got to the bottom of the stairs and I would run up the stairs as fast as I could. And that that experience of that constant, like every day that, that un, you know, that, that fear that was completely unfounded, that had nothing to do with anything, it was totally my own imagination, just grew and grew and grew. And it got to this point where, you know, when we finally moved away from that house, and I was so glad to never have to sleep in that basement again, that fear kind of came with me and attached itself to all dark places. And so in my child mind, the dark was like water, 
It was Mm -hmm. like water that would just surround you and suppress you and envelop you. And there was nothing you could do to get out of it. And it was so scary to me that I would have a physical reaction where I would have an elevated heart rate and I would sweat and I would freeze and I wouldn't be able to move. And when you're little and you have a fear that's crippling like that, people... They try to they, they they try to talk you out of it. They go, no, there's nothing to be afraid of. Come on, let's go in the basement together. Let's go in the closet together. Let's shine a light under here, you know. And and in a way that that helps you realize that it's silly. But if at least in my case, as that fear progressed and I got older, once I became an adult and I told you know my friends that I was afraid of the dark or my boyfriend or whatever, then then they would almost coddle me in a way. They would like do whatever they could to keep me out of situations where I was in the dark. Mm-hmm. And if anything, that would just make it worse. So as an adult, I found it was much easier to to live with my fear because I had a flashlight on my phone and there were very few times I would ever be in the dark. And then, you know, my friends, like I said, they would always make sure I was never in the dark, but that just made it get worse and worse and worse to where if I ever was in a situation where there, it was dark, like say walking to my car mm-hmm. or, you know, um, if the power went out in my house, I would just be completely useless. Like I could, I would just have to sit there and do nothing. Like it was so ridiculous. It got to a pretty, a pretty funky place, you know? Um, and, and it's weird when you're an adult and you're, a, you know, an educated member of society. And especially when you become a parent and you're having to, you know, rise to the occasion and you're like, but Hey, Hey honey, can you turn on your nightlight? Cause mommy's really scared. You know, <laughs> like, that, doesn't, that doesn't really, that doesn't really fly in the world of parenting. And so it was, it was something that had, had gotten to a point where my husband was like, God, Mel, you know, this is a pretty bad thing. Like, what can, do we need to, do you need therapy? Like, what do we need to do for this? You know? And I, to be fair, I should have probably been to therapy over it. And I, and I never did. I never went, you know, to therapy about my, my phobia of the dark. And it just kind of grew and grew to where I hated driving at night. The idea of driving in the dark with my, my headlights going like ahead of me, like if there's there's streetlights, I could handle it. But if I'm like, say on a dark road, you know, a dirt road with nothing but my streetlights, it would just freak me the fuck out. Like I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't drive. Like I just, it would just make me hyperventilate. It was such a strange feeling of, of suppression. And I think fear of seeing something, because when I was little, I would always see things in the dark, in the basement. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, I think it was the fear of maybe seeing something, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, and I never did see anything because there's nothing there. But, but <laughs> you know, my brain couldn't kind of wrap itself around that. And there was this this moment where I really knew I had a problem. <laughs> when I I worked at a at an art gallery here in Los Angeles for a couple of years. Um, I took a break from finance right around the time Obama got elected. Um, I, I just kind of needed a break and I, I went and I worked at an art gallery here in, I guess they're in North Hollywood that specializes in renting art to production. So anytime you see a commercial or a movie that has a, a picture in the background, a painting that's framed, a kid's art on the wall, anything, any piece of artwork, a sculpture, anything that has been rented from a rental house somewhere and cleared because whatever artist created that piece of art has the copyright to it. And so in order for it to be seen on film, television, commercial, whatever, there has to be a clearance. So I worked at an art gallery that specialized in renting art to production. So it was this huge warehouse gallery in the middle of this industrial park in North Hollywood. It was beautiful, just full of giant paintings, sculptures, whatever. And the front main gallery had all the 
sculptures and stuff. And, and most of the things that we were, you know, renting out and these giant trucks would come from set and the guys would, you know, fill it up and bring us back art. So we had a lot of art coming and going and we had this back gallery that was connected to the front gallery. And the back gallery kind of had all the stuff that didn't, didn't get rented as much or didn't move around as much, but it was still back there in case someone needed it. And so I used to have to go and open and go into the back gallery. And the back gallery was very similar to my basement in that it was an unfinished concrete room and the light switch was at the far end of the gallery. And so what I would do is I would take my phone and I would open the door and to open the main door, you would basically just open it. And again, we're in an industrial area. So there was this little like hook and nail, like you'd open the door and you'd put this little hook over a nail on the wall that would hold that door open. And then I would have to walk through the gallery to the back to turn on the light. So I would always take my phone, turn my flashlight on, whatever. Well, this one day we were in a hurry, didn't have my phone with me. I open the door, hook it on the nail. I take about four steps into the gallery and then I hear thunk and the door slams behind me. And I'm standing there in the gal in the back gallery and there's a little bit of light coming under the door, just enough to make every sculpture look like a demon. And I'm just standing there and I'm like 36 years old, you know, I'm a grown ass woman and I just start hyperventilating and I'm just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And my heart starts racing and I start crying. And then I finally just had to pull myself together and I turned around and I closed my eyes and I lifted my arms up just like I was a little kid in the basement and slowly walked to the door and opened it and then jumped out the door and cried in the little walkway between the galleries. And I thought, man, I am way too old for this shit. And my coworkers were like, oh my God, the gallery. And I told them what happened and they all knew that I was afraid of the dark. And they were like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, this is good. I need to do stuff like this. I have to, I realized I had to start forcing myself into situations like this because I was so crippled by it. I didn't want to live in fear of dumb shit like that. And especially as a mom, you know, I had to rise to the occasion for my kids because I didn't want them to be afraid of the same thing as me. And it was just so silly. You know, it was just such an eye-opening moment. So embarrassing. All my coworkers, I'm crying. Good God, what's wrong with me? See, that just reminds me of Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon. Like, I'm just too over this shit. Like, just, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just that. You're just that tired of being afraid of the dark. Just tired of it. Yeah. And so it was kind of funny. And one of, and I finally, the thing that clicked for me, you know, because again, people had, you know, especially when you're little. Mm -hmm. people, they tease, they try to tease it out of you, you know, and they yeah. try to, and, the, and, and, but again, it, it's almost better because at least they're forcing you to think about it and put you in situations, you know, and try to make you do stuff. And again, as I got older, my husband was so sweet. He would always, he would always be the one to turn the light off. He would always be the, you know, make sure the lights were on for me and this and that. And then, you know, I told him, I was like, you gotta, you gotta start making me be in the dark more because <laughs> I, I have to get past this. And, you know, it was kind of a slow progression for me, but then finally, I just, I had this moment where somebody said the exact thing that I needed to hear at the exact right moment where I was talking to somebody about something else. And this woman said to me, she said, oh, by the way, just kind of off the cuff, she said, you don't have to be afraid of the dark anymore because honey, you are the light. And whatever, for whatever reason, that was exactly what I needed to hear, that kind of esoteric, cheesy, like you're the light, but it fucking worked. Like that's what I needed to hear because now then it was like, oh shit. That's right. Okay. And so now I don't love the dark, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, 
I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I don't love it, but I can sit in a dark room now without freaking out. I can drive on a dark road without freaking out. I can enjoy being outside in the dark and looking at the stars without freaking out, especially if someone's with me. Um, because I just remind myself, okay, I'm the light. It's going to be okay. I am the light. And for whatever reason, that was the clincher that helped me all the other stuff, the affirmations and prayers and putting a white light of protection around yourself. None of that did shit for me, but just having somebody tell me, you don't have to be afraid. You are the light. As cheesy as that is, that was whatever my brain needed to click out of mm-hmm. the hell I had created. That was it. And, and so now I'm a much more productive person, but again, I don't love the dark, yeah. you know, it's not like I'm hanging out in the dark, loving it, but I can handle it to the point where I'm not a mess in front of my kids. Yeah. So I think that's the most important part, I guess, for me. Well, for me, it's, it's so weird. it goes back to the open, the no door. See, I think if you had a door, I don't know if Oh, for sure. I don't know if you're afraid of the dark cuz you could close it. The fact that you didn't have that barrier, I guess that you you had to I guess create barriers with like your eyes being closed and you mm-hmm. had to you had to create you had to imagine a way to get through it versus just having the door and Exactly. And I think back to that now and I'm like, what the hell is going on? They put me in the basement <laughs> with no door? Like, come on, you guys. Were you the youngest? <laughs> At that time? I was the only, I was an only child. So, um, I don't know, man. So I, I was just down there, you know, I mean, and they were doing the best they could do. I, I, I get it. You know, I'm sure they thought it was fine, but you know, I definitely complained about it. I didn't want, and there was, I believe it, if I recall correctly, there was one point where they, we switched bedrooms and my bedroom was the one upstairs and theirs was the one downstairs. And that was better. Um, but it, the, the seeds had already been planted, man. And it was, I was well on my way to a lifelong phobia. So <laughs> I don't know, man, it was weird. And again, we, the last time we were on vacation, um, we were somewhere tropical. I think we were in Hawaii and at night there were people snorkeling in the little cove there and they were doing mm-hmm. night swimming and they had lights on their, their gear. And they were just kind of right, right in the cove, not out in the open ocean, just right there. And I just remember thinking there is no way you could, mm-hmm. you could pay me enough to do that. I can't imagine being in actual dark water yeah. with a light on looking out for th- like that. Just the thought of that makes my heart race. Like, ugh, no, 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 no. I mean, so it's definitely still in there and mm-hmm. it's definitely a lifelong thing, but it's, it's something I can kind of laugh at now. And, and I know I'm like, okay, like this is a thing. It's going to be okay. You know, all those things you do to talk yourself out of it. So hopefully I'm, I'm able to <laughs> just to keep up on not freaking out. Um, at least not in front of my kids. Well, that's a goal. I mean, some, I mean, I'm sure if your kids found out, they would probably, Oh, they know they hundred percent. know. they give me shit about it. They're like, yeah. mom's afraid of the dark. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, no, babe. It's true. Sounds You're afraid of spiders. We all have something. <laughs> like, I'm surprised it just didn't like, if you were the last one out of the room, like they would just turn the light out before you were out or anything like that. Like just to, just playfully, <laughs> just to, playfully just to mess with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, like it's if you're in the funny. attic or something, they just pull the chain or. Oh my God. Yeah. See, that's the kind of thing like that would freak me out. Yeah, absolutely. But luckily they, they're not like that, but, but yeah. Who knows though? It might be now if they listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, but it's weird. You know, when you have a phobia like that, especially one that's pretty unfounded 
and you know it. Mm-hmm. And so there's, a, I guess, a certain amount of shame that you attach to it as well, because it's embarrassing to be afraid of something so silly, yeah. but we can't help it, you know? And so I feel like, at least in my embracing of the fear, I taught my children that it's okay to have parts of yourself you don't understand, or maybe you don't like, but you still embrace that part of yourself because it is a part of you, you know, and then now being able to talk about it, being able to kind of laugh at it, that helps me, I guess, feel Mm -hmm. like I'm in charge of it, even if it's a farce, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, um, and hopefully they can, they can learn from that. Um, and who knows, like, it's just such a strange thing. And, I've spent a lot of time analyzing it, but I know it just comes from whatever my brain was thinking at that time when I was little in the basement all those years down there and just on from there. But hopefully I don't ever have to go to that basement again. (laughs) Let's just say that. (laughs) Do do your parents still live in that house or no? Oh, no. That house is long gone, been sold and and remodeled and, and on. Yeah, that house hasn't been a part of my life for a really long time, so... Well, that's and what's funny is I love that house. Like I have great mem- the, the, the thing. Yeah. I have no sad memories associated with that house. Like nothing bad ever happened there. It was great. You know, I had a great childhood, you know, just I, my room was in the scary ass basement and, <laughs> it was, and it sucked and it made me afraid of the dark, you know, kind of crazy. Not to mention, like if you had nightmares, like how long did it take your parents to get from where they were all the way down <laughs> Oh my God, forever. It was like, and this was again, like 1980. So we didn't have, you know, monitors and technology and all that. So they would literally have to, you know, hear me yelling and then run through the kitchen, down the stairs, through the basement, you know, it was was pretty far away, you know? Um, So yeah, it was, but I mean, they were doing the best they could, you know, with what they had. And um, it just happened to be like that. It was weird because there were two rooms down there. There were two bedrooms And the second bedroom was pretty much just, I think it was just like storage. They weren't very big. They were tiny little, Mm -hmm. you know, rooms. And now I I did, before we got on this podcast, I did go look the house up on Zillow and it looks like it's been completely redone and the basement's now finished. So it's like, you know, painted with car. It doesn't look at all like, like the dungeon that I knew. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, so hopefully that that's a good thing (laughs) for them. For any future three-year-olds that may be staying. Maybe sleeping in one of those rooms down there. I know. So, so, so crazy. Probably why you got into finance, to make sure that you had the money to finish any any room. Any basement or any room ever. Make sure there's lots of, like, recessed lighting, you know, lots of opportunity. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's pretty good. You know, I think a lot of us have things that we're afraid of, and mm-hmm. it's... I think when we own that fear too, like again, with my kids or even with my friends, admitting it and and knowing that it's silly, but that it's, that exists and admitting it anyway and kind of owning it. When you do that for yourself, it kind of gives other people permission to do that too. And it kind of peels down any guards or layers that people have. And then it allows them to kind of look at themselves. You look at yourself kind of thing. And I really do try to do that with my kids um, and my husband and just, you know, hopefully we're, looking at all of ourselves introspectively trying to be better and help each other be better. It's, it's just a strange, it's so strange being afraid of something completely unfounded is it's, it's a strange thing to carry with you, you know, cause again, you know, it's silly, but you can't help it. It's, it's weird. Yeah. I, I've done that and I'm, I'm afraid of snakes mainly. There's hmm. some other things I'm super afraid of or. See, know. I feel like that, that has 
ground though. Like I feel cause a snake is, it, it can bite you. Like yeah. I, I understand that fear. Like that makes sense to me, but. But the, to me, the dark is just, there's so many other things it could be because it's, it's just all becomes part of the dark. Exactly. Well, cause it's your mind, right? Yeah. It's and your mind makes it so much worse than anything that could ever be there. And so, so it's, it's untangible and it's, it's nothing and everything at the same time. And the weight of that, that's why I think I always thought of it as water. Cause it just felt so heavy and so like stifling and suffocating. Yeah. And I have a friend that she's, you know, she's a parent, but she's doesn't have very good vision. So she doesn't like to sleep with her back to the doorway. So she always has her bed and everything to where she's facing the doorway because Okay. Because of that dart and her fear was she still thinks about monsters under the bed. So she's kind of in the same boat you are, you know, that there's a monster under the bed that she sleeps with her feet out from under the covers hmm. that, that she can be taken by said monster that's under the bed. It's so strange how these things from our childhood just permeate and tattoo themselves into her mind and into our minds and just affect us our whole lives. Isn't mm-hmm. it? It's it's crazy. Absolutely. I don't know, but it's it's good. Actually, t- I told you when, when we were talking about doing this interview, even just typing about it mm-hmm. really forced me to think about it for the first time in a while. Because that's the other thing is like, it's not like I think about it all the time, all day, every day, you know, kind of thing. And so even typing you, my stomach started to get like turn over a little bit and get a little, a little bit of knots and stuff. And I was like, okay, Melissa, remember you can do this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it does help to talk about it. And it's like, it deflates it a little bit, you know? Yeah. But it's and it's it's inspiring that you're you know like I don't want my kids to be in the dark somewhere and me not be able to come to their aid if needed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because you have to be able to parent for God's sake. You can't mm-hmm. let something as silly as the dark stop you from parenting. And it's true because it does force you into that. Because there's been many times where your kids cry out in the middle of the night and I've had to rush in there even before I was okay. You know, but that parental instinct does take over and you got to do what you got to do. You know, even if you're scared shitless, you know, you got to rise to the occasion and you got to you got to figure it out because you have to be the strong one, you know, and, and that's definitely helpful. Um in terms of my phobia, but yeah, it's just such a strange, just such a strange thing. You know, most people are afraid of like you are like snakes or spiders or, mm-hmm. you know, something tangible, tornadoes or earthquake. I mean, I could see even living in California and being afraid of earthquakes because we have them all the time. That makes sense. But no, I'm the dark. <laughs> and none of your, and neither of your children are afraid of the dark. Not at all. Neither one of them were at all and have been. So it's like, yeah, my nine-year-old's like, it's okay, mommy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks for that, hon. <laughs> You're special. I still love exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, they do. And again, you know, and it helps them, I think, to see like their mom struggling to know that we're not perfect. I think a lot of times too in parenting, there's this idea that kids have that their parents have their shit together, that they know everything or that they're, you know, this or that. And, and for me, at least with my kids, I'm very open in that. I I don't have all the answers. I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to make mistakes, cut me some slack. I'm learning how to parent you at the same time as you're growing up. So let's work together. I'm not perfect. And at least for me, that, that level of honesty has been helpful because my kids go, Oh shit. Okay. 
you're a person too. Oh my God. My mom is a person too. Go figure. What an amazing revelation. You know? Well, and so as your 20 year old probably, you know, may, you know, end up having kids at, of her own at some point, she'll realize like, Oh wow. You, you get a more appreciation for how your parents, you, the kind of things your parents did when you realize like the time demands and the Oh my God. Yes. And I think you forgive your parents for a lot of their stuff. When you become a parent, I remember being mad at my parents for certain things, even putting me in the basement, for instance, you know, and then you have kids of your own and you're like, Oh shit, there's no manual. We're all doing the best we can. My parents were like 25 when they had me, you know, super young. So they had no idea what they were doing. They were babies, you know, struggling, Mm -hmm. figuring it out. And and then you realize, okay, you know, all right, I'll cut them some slack. Hopefully you have have a nine-year-old and still, but I mean, too, like the challenges change too. Like nowadays, like I couldn't imagine, like I was telling other parents my, you know, I'm like, I can't imagine having the talk about social media because we were all adults when we got it. So, right. I don't know how you tell a kid what to, you know, how to, how to post on Facebook, what to post on Facebook, what, what to accept. What's interesting. I mean, they, so the kids are, you know, I mean, they're diligent and by the time, if you think you're going to have a a sit down with your kid and tell them anything about social media that they haven't already seen, you're probably late to the game. Mm -hmm. Um, But with kids now, you know, it's, it's all about boundaries and setting proper boundaries. I will tell you that, um, since pet stars premiered, I have had a huge influx of young children reaching out to me directly, Mm -hmm. um, both on my personal Instagram page, uh, Melissa Macy. And then for my, my Jenny, who's my, my bearded dragon that is featured on pet stars, um, her Instagram unicorn dragon princess. I have kids reach out to constantly. And these are young kids, much younger than my nine-year-old, even kids Mm -hmm. that appear to be six, seven years old, sending me direct messages, sending me video chats, asking me to chat with them, asking me to be their friend, because I appear to be a harmless motherly type with a lizard online, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they're just reaching out to me, messaging me, asking me, and it scares me to death because I'm like, Oh my God, where is your mom? I'm an adult. I could be anybody. I could be some 80 year old, you don't know who I am. You know, and so that has then sparked a lot more conversations in our household about Instagram. So our my nine-year-old doesn't have Instagram. She, she doesn't have any social media. We don't let her have anything like that. My 20-year-old obviously does because she's an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's all about having conversations about what's appropriate and then following guidelines and not necessarily letting them have access to the internet at that age. My God, like all these kids with tablets and things that just have unfettered access to everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just terrifying. So it, it, it requires diligence on the part of parents. I will say when you give your kid a tablet, whether it's an iPad or a Kindle or an iPhone or whatever, you're opening up their world in a way you're giving them access to all these things. And of course they want it because their friends are on there and everything. And that's great, but it requires a whole nother level of parenting involvement um, yeah. where you're diligently monitoring things and keeping track of things and, you know, every conversation they have and this and that. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. A lot of the, a lot of the apps and stuff have tools for parents. I know Facebook, the kids messenger has a lot of things for parents so you can see mm-hmm. everything, but man, they're still coming up with more and it just, it has to be a conversation starting very early and it has to be a continually evolving conversation because you can't scare your seven-year-old with the facts of, yeah internet predators, the way you can maybe scare your 13 year old. That's a different conversation, you know, but you definitely have to have it and you have to have an ongoing kind of uh, 
amount of communication and even then shit can happen. And it's just, yeah, it's scary. It's, it's, it's a whole new world out there and everything's permanent. Yeah. I'm so glad it didn't exist when I was in college. That's all I have to say. And that's, that's <laughs> cause I'm your age. I'm 44 and I'm, I, okay. it just mind blows me the stuff like, like people creating accounts for kids with their names on. It. I'm like, why would you give them that even, you know, why would, you know, why not? Right give them a nickname or something that because or that, just any school event yeah. parents i see parents all the time that go to the you know the you know the little parade they do on um halloween where they all the kids parade around in their costumes you know and see parents videoing it putting it on facebook live tagging the location so geolocating the exact place where your kid is here's you know my kid and Mr. Clark's class, fifth grade, go George Washington. You know what I mean? So you're basically telling the world where your kid is all day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's kind of crazy. So hopefully, you know, parents can remain diligent. That's something to actually be afraid of. Internet predators, <laughs> like that, that's a tangible fear. Like that's something that would be much, yeah. make much more sense. But yeah, no, it's constant, constant communication and, and you just have to be, you have to be on it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a scary I feel bad for parents now. Just it's just so much. I, I grew up in the eighties, you know, mm-hmm. we had free range. My parents were never around all summer. We were just outside. Yeah. But <laughs> nobody I mean, was around. But that's what I mean is like with the internet, everything it's, it's not just local. Like everything. No, I, it's not. That's what I realized is as a kid, people were like, we don't remember all this bad stuff. It's like, that's because we only got news from one area. Like I grew up exactly. in Houston, so I I knew there was a lot of crime in Houston, but we didn't have, you know, CNN telling us every bad thing that's happening at every city, every hour of every day. You right. Only, you only you only heard bad news at five, six, and ten p.m. <laughs> and even then, it exactly. wasn't it wasn't you know it was thirty minutes of world news and basically an hour of local, because you had the world news at five thirty. With Peter right. Jennings, and that was that, that was it. And nowadays, it's no. Now we hear everything. If there's a school shooting in some obscure school, like in the middle of nowhere, we know about it, and then it makes you think, "Oh my God, the whole world's going to hell." It's getting worse and worse and worse. And like you said, I don't think it's really getting any worse. I think we're just learning about it. We just yeah. hear about it instantly, and we hear about everything. And they mostly report negative stuff because if it bleeds, it leads. So we're hearing. All, I, I stopped watching. I can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially during election times, I can't watch news. So I'm just like, go you know, nah, I'm just gonna, I'll go to CNN.com or or whatever. But I don't need to watch physically any news because I just can't handle it. <laughs> it's so too much. How are your kids handling pet stars? Like, are they is your nine year old now like a celebrity by proxy, basically at her class? You know, it's it's funny. They they take it with a grain of salt. Um, I mean, when Pet Stars premiered, you know, my my daughter was so excited. My nine year old, like, she told her whole class, but they were in the in the midst of online distance learning, so she wasn't physically in school. She hasn't physically been in school since mm-hmm. March of 2020. Um, but she should be going back this this fall, hopefully. Fingers crossed, they'll be all opened up. Um, but so she, you know, made an announcement in class, and everybody was all excited about it. And there, there was a moment where, you know, she she felt pretty cool and. You know, everybody was asking questions and, and wanted to see our lizard and this and that. And then here, you know, in our in our community, um, it's kind of fun because some of my neighbors, you know, they knew about the show, but their kids didn't know. And so they just kind of put the show on, put Pet mm-hmm. Stars on. I'm like, hey, let's watch the show about pets. And then 
a couple minutes in, I'm on screen and they're like, oh my gosh, is that Melissa? That's Milo's mom. Oh my gosh. You know, and it was like super exciting yeah. for them, um, you know, and, and fun. So it's at this point, it's just, it's just been kind of a fun thing. You know, my kids, I, I think are a little bit, um, they're not tired of pet stars, but I mean, I've been working for pets and Q for five years now. And we've been mm-hmm. working on the show the whole time I mean, from pitching the show to making a sizzle, to making a pilot, to make, you know, filming the first season to do that. It's been a long drawn out process and COVID made it even more long and drawn yeah. out. So I think at this point they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen it. That's our mom. Yeah. Mom, make me a peanut butter and jelly. Like, you know, <laughs> to them it's like no big thing. And also my husband's worked on so many different shows over the years and, and, you know, he's filmed red carpets and, you know, the Academy Awards and after parties and all this. And so, so they've seen a lot of stuff through him too. So I think just having grown up in, in mm-hmm. kind of the Hollywood area, my kids are like, yeah, no big deal. Every mom, everybody has their own reality yeah. show. Netflix gives deals to everyone. Like, yeah, I was going <laughs> like, to say, I was going to ask if, if having dad there kind of, I guess, tempered that a little bit, just totally totally did and it, and it's funny because again my husband who has been incredibly supportive of this whole thing mm-hmm. um but even at the beginning he's like are you sure you want to be on a reality show because ugh, like you know he, his take is was very different now our show isn't anywhere close to the the ratings and numbers that a jersey shore has you know we're very small mm-hmm. potatoes and we don't have drama we don't have you know eliminations and drinking and party you know we just that's just not our formula you know, so it's very different than what he typically works on, but his whole, you know, and he, he does a lot. He used to work on the world poker. He worked, worked on the world poker tour for like 20 years too. And so his take on it was kind of like, ugh, reality show. You really don't want to do that. And I'm like, yeah, we do. And he's like, oh no, really you don't. And I'm like, nope, really we do. And that's what we're doing. And he was like, okay. And then when he saw the show though, and how different it was, he was like, okay, this is fun. I get it. You know, yeah. but still reality. Ugh, you know, but I'm <laughs> You do need to, you know, even if it's that close, you 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 you're bit you benefit from hearing, you know, that kind of detraction just so you can pro you have that at least in your mind too. At the same time, okay, here here's what other here's the what the na- the naysayers will say. Mm-hmm. Here's another reality show, you know, and how could it, it makes you it makes you kind of I guess think your way out of that situation. Like my day job is also tech support, so I always you know, try to, I try to, what I always call eat around the problem. Like, I'm just like, how mm, can I, mm-hmm. how can I find an alternative? How can I find a different, you know, when I write comedy, how can I find the other angle? Not the, right. not the one that everybody's thinking, how can I go a different direction? And so right. he, hearing that from, you know, someone that close and someone, you know, you love. Okay. How can oh, it definitely grounds you. It helps. It keeps you grounded in, in your own reality and it, it keeps things, you know, how can I make a show that you'll yeah. enjoy? exactly you know and and my husband is is a huge cheerleader for us in the show you know and it's kind of like it's it's the fact that we even got a show on netflix is just a crazy Mm -hmm. we we feel very very lucky and blessed for it and we're excited you know to see what happens with it but we're also kind of like okay now but now what are we going to do with the business and uh, you know we have a booking platform that we're launching for people to come and book you know animals through our site and we have a lot of tech we're building out and we're, you know, making our team bigger. And, you know, my husband has stuff that he's working on and we're going to be producing a theater show later this year together. Um, Cause my husband and I both come from theater backgrounds. That's how we met in college. And so we're really excited to put a show up and, you know, so we have a lot of things that are happening outside of it because it is weird. You know, it's weird for my dad in Salt Lake city 
you know, to watch my, my silly reality show, you know, here <laughs> and mm-hmm. be like, you know, my dad texted me and he goes, Hey, you know, and I don't know, Ryan, if you've seen any of the show, but there's an episode of our show where we get a little bit funky and, you know, I'm like the hippie of the show and, and I'm into crystals and Reiki and I have a meditation pyramid and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And I really do have a meditation pyramid and then I really do have crystals and Reiki and all that stuff. And so my dad texts me and goes, where's this pyramid? I've, I've, you've never busted out the pyramid when I'm, when I'm there. And I'm like, yeah, dad, cause it's not your thing. It's under my couch. He's like, you really meditate in it every single day. And I'm like, well, maybe not, twice not every day but like but i do meditate in it and he just he was just like this is weird like you know? you're, you're you know? gonna you're probably gonna make me double dip today just say, <laughs> you're not this really helping so the situation you're not <laughs> exactly you know so it's just funny you know other people's take on it you know versus your own and then just you know what what happens after that and you know, who knows, but yeah, we're, we're excited. It's, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting couple of years. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, and, and just living in Los Angeles, like there is, I get a lot of that stuff because there's just a lot of stress. There's a lot of, it's, you know, you're, like you said, there's traffic, you know, you, mm-hmm. a four, like somebody was telling me that they went to New York and literally like one day they were, they were going to somewhere and it was like the, they did the map. It was like 1.4 miles travel time you know, two hours, 10 minutes. Oh my God. Yes. It's, it's crazy. I actually do miss, I mean, look, we are, COVID was horrific, is horrific. It's still ravaging places. And I, I, I want COVID to be done. That being said, when we were in the height of quarantine and the height of lockdown here in Los Angeles, it was glorious because there were no cars on the road. I could drive to Santa Monica in like 20 minutes there was hardly any pollution. The skies were clear. There was no, you know what I mean? It was so nice, mm-hmm. you know? And now, I mean, even just yesterday, just driving anywhere, it was like, damn, like, we're back. We're here. We are. We're right back into the thick of it. You know, a so, million people on the road. Here we go. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, And that's why I was like saying, you know, there's, you have to find, you, everybody has to find their own way of, I guess, dealing and de-stressing with that. And so absolutely, absolutely. But it's just funny too. And I had to explain to my dad and I was like, you know, with the reality show, I go, this is Colleen and I, you know, Colleen and I, dad, you know who we are. I said, but you can see also how they're making us into characters that are a little bit bigger, a little bit louder, a Mm -hmm. little bit more intense than we really are. And that's what reality does, you know, I guess. So, so in the show, I'm, you know, very much, you know, meditating my pyramid every day, you know, crystals and Reiki and all of that to an nth degree that maybe is a little bit dramatized because that's a fun character and it's fun because Colleen's not like that. And so it makes it, makes us have some, you know, something to have drama over that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It was just funny. Even my mother-in-law, my my darling Mormon mother-in-law who lives in Utah County, same thing, called Andy and was like, does Melissa really meditate in a pyramid every day? <laughs> they were very concerned about my meditation practices as shown on Pet Stars, just because it's different, you know? And my yeah. husband has to be like, yeah, mom, you know, Melissa's weird. You knew this when we got married. <laughs> That's so funny. See, you're, you explaining it to your dad is one thing. Him explaining to his mom's two sentences. Totally different. Yeah, you knew she was weird. This is what we signed up for. Like you're defensive. Like it's under the couch. Like you're having to. You're having to justify it. He's just like she's weird. Yep. Exactly. Too funny. And and you know and you kind of have to embrace that part of yourself too if you're gonna Mm -hmm. put yourself out on TV like that because 
people are going to find out. So you might as well tell them before they find out so you can own the narrative kind of thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I thank you for doing this, Melissa. I'll let you. No problem. Get you back to your screenless Sunday. <laughs> your nine-year-old's probably just glaring at you somewhere. Just. <laughs> well, you know, she has been silent and she's upstairs. So I bet you money she's up there on her iPad right now. Just like living it up because she knows I'm down here on my laptop doing this that's, interview. And that's so. so weird, too, is like that's how kids live it up these days. Like we didn't. Oh, my God. We didn't have like. When I go, when I walk my dog on a beautiful spring day and it's 70 degrees and sunny and I'm in this beautiful neighborhood and there's not a single kid outside, it kills me. I, I just go, oh my God, youth is really wasted on the young. There's nobody out here throwing a ball, riding a bike, playing soccer, roller skating, nothing, nothing. It's just they're on their, they're on their screens, which is why it's even more important. I think that everybody do a no screen day or time or afternoon or anything that you can do because my God, these kids need to half these kids don't even know how to ride bikes anymore because yeah. they'd never do. It's crazy. Well, where can people find you on social media when they're, when they go back to, mo <laughs> to monitor Monday? <laughs> oh man. So probably the best place to find me is on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Melissa may see. And in my bio at Instagram, there's a link tree that has all my other Facebook and LinkedIn and my podcast and all those things. So I would say, find me on Instagram and check out my link tree and you can find me basically anywhere else. And then now, you know, Pet Stars is streaming on Netflix in, I think, 29 different languages. So please check it out. It's a pretty fun, family-friendly show. I definitely will. I appreciate you doing this and... I guess you, if you want to promote your bearded dragons, uh, Instagram as well. Oh yes. My, my bearded dragon, uh, Jenny, who is on the show. Um, she's also on Instagram at unicorn dragon princess. Um, and she's a super fun bearded dragon and she loves to kind of hang out and put little hats on and it's, it's pretty silly. She's got three times as many followers as I do. So that's good for your self-esteem when your lizard has more followers than you. What does that tell you? <laughs> tells you you got to get more hats apparently <laughs> well ryan thank you so much for having me on to talk about my my phobias and the show and everything this has been really fun i really appreciate it thanks again for doing it all right have a good day we'll talk soon so that was melissa i love how she keeps taking steps to resolve this fear and it's amazing how such a little fear can sometimes just take over all of your senses. I thank Melissa for doing that. It was a really fun interview. And check out Pet Stars on Netflix. It's an amazing show. It's really cool. It's something you can watch with your family and your kids. And it's really neat to see all the animals and how much just love for animals that Colleen, Melissa, and the owners of these dogs and cats and other animals just have. You can check out Pets on Q on Instagram as well as anywhere else. If you do have an animal you want to represent, check out Pets on Q at their website. It would be posted in the show notes. You can follow Melissa at Melissa May C at Instagram. Also, Pet Stars 
on Netflix is on Instagram. Those those accounts will be in the show notes as well as her lizard dragon princess will be in the show notes. So yeah, that was a fun interview. We're going to try to do some more kind of spooky, scary fears for the Halloween season. And so I've got a couple more. I've done a few interviews. I got a couple more coming. Um, so stay tuned for more episodes. They're on the way. If you like what you hear, please leave a review. Uh, I love hearing from you guys and hopefully it just boosts the visibility of the show. And so I appreciate you guys for listening. As for me, I will be at the Addison Improv this Wednesday. So if you're willing to check out some comedy, come check us out. We'll be having a great time. After that, it'll be a couple of private shows. And then I'll be back in Wichita. January, my right after my birthday weekend, I'll be 45, which is hard to believe. But that's where we are in life and getting older and having a great time and working some all kinds of different jobs and trying to make money to survive. Thank you guys again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Have a wonderful week. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O like water. You can also follow him on Facebook. Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns. That's G-U-N-B-U-N-S. As well as his website, GunnarOlson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at SomeFearFans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S, at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me, on social media, I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there and you can check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened and everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 